searching, searching, and I appreciate that. I want to uh, invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, we are, of course, continuing our expository series through the first epistle of Peter. We only have so much to go. Um, Lord willing, I believe that Brother John will be wrapping the book up for us next Sunday night, and then it will be on to um, other expenditures in the Word of God. And so I just want to invite you to, to stand for the reading of God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Join me in a word of prayer. Father God, Father, we come before you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father God, as, 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 we, as we approach you, let it be real to all of us, let it be true to all of us that we have an understanding. The one it is that we are coming to tonight is holy, is thrice holy, is awesome, is an awe-inspiring God. Lord, give us a heart and a spirit of, of holy trembling and reverence due to your majesty, due to your glory, dear God. Father, let it be true of all of us in this room tonight as we worship you through the preaching and proclamation of your word that your name would be hallowed, your name would be glorified, dear God. Father, I pray that your, the truth of your word would be honored, that it would be made known, that it would be given the respect that it deserves. Father, I, I just pray that by your grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit that the truth of these words of sacred scripture would be um, impressed into my heart as well as the heart of all of my hearers. In Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. There are probably few issues in the Christian life that are less deeply thought of than the local church. Then the local church and issues pertaining to it. And it's so refreshing to see, uh, it's, it's so convicting truly to see various passages of Scripture which address this issue because when you read these passages of Scripture, it's, it's truly, you're realizing that this, this is something that I haven't really given thought to. This is something I haven't really paid much attention to. And, and of course, the passage that we'll be addressing tonight will be addressing the office of the elder. And uh, most of what we think about an elder or a pastor in the church comes ultimately from our tradition, comes ultimately from how we were raised, this, that, and the other. But, um, of course, we, we just thank God that in His infinite mercy, He has given us wisdom. He has given us instruction on these matters and how they are to function. And so, thus we begin with chapter 5 of Peter's first epistle tonight, you will notice that the very first word of verse 1 is the word so, or the word therefore, which means that what Peter is saying here in this passage is connected to, it has something to do with what came before, which of course means that we have to do, yes, the, the context thing. Now at this point, hopefully it has just been drilled into your minds as we have been repeating it to you for the past few months that Peter is writing his letter to, of course, the elect exiles. He's referring to Christians, those Christians who have been chosen by God the Father, atoned for by the blood of God the Son, Jesus Christ, and regenerated by God the 
the Holy Spirit. Peter has well established the theme that the Christian life is not meant to be, it was never intended to be a life of ease and luxury. We are pilgrims, we are exiles, we are sojourners, we are strangers. And, and, and we cry out with the psalmist, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? I want you to keep this theme of exile in your mind as I remind you of something which Peter has already said in verse 17 of chapter 4. Peter says, it is time for judgment to begin at the house of the Lord. Our Lord has a righteous and holy history of bringing his just judgment and discipline upon his people. Anyone who has ever glanced at the Old Testament should know that. One such case of this judgment uh, occurred in the early 6th century B.C. with the Babylonian exile, a critically important event in redemptive history due to the persistent sin and wickedness of the Jewish people, God was pleased to use King Nebuchadnezzar to overtake Judea and many of her citizens were forced to leave and go to Babylon in exile. One such man who was taken away was the prophet Ezekiel who is the author of one of the largest books in the entire Bible and at this point I, I should invite you if you would like to turn for just a moment briefly to Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 34. Now, Ezekiel has a reputation for being one of the toughest books in the Old Testament for a lot of modern Christians to go through. Why? Well, because Ezekiel is so unlike modern Christianity, modern American Christianity. Ezekiel talks about things like holiness and judgment and all of these things that are so sensitive are so offensive to modern sensibilities he uses clear and descriptive language when referring to israel's whorish idolatry utilizing figures of speech that would be considered vulgar by your stereotypical church lady and in chapter 34 we come to a passage that I hope to show you is incredibly relevant to what we are finding in, in Peter tonight. Uh, the passage in chapter 34 I want to look at contains essentially two themes, judgment and restoration. The passage in particular is aimed at the rulers or the shepherds of Israel. In Ezekiel 34 we read this, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness, you have ruled them. What Ezekiel is prophesying against the shepherds of Israel is the basic fact that the shepherds, the rulers of Israel, were neglecting their responsibilities. Ezekiel says, should not shepherds feed the sheep? And yet, what we find is that the shepherds were not feeding the sheep. They were neglecting this basic function that they had. But oh, how they were feeding themselves. They ate the fat. They were clothing themselves with the wool. Now, this has a double meaning to it, does it not? Obviously, the image, imagery communicates living a lavish lifestyle. But when we recognize that these shepherds were responsible for caring for God's people, God's sheep, you see there's a deeper layer of what's being communicated there. They slaughter the fat ones, that which they have, all of their wealth, all of their luxury, all of their comforts and all of these different things they got 
by taking advantage of the poor sheep who were in their care. They ate off of them, but no, they did not feed them as they ought to have done. They were living lavishly, and it was all at the expense of the poor sheep whom God had entrusted to them. We continue reading in verse 5. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. And here's where we begin to see the outcome of what happens when God's sheep are being shepherded by negligent shepherds, scattered, wandering over the mountains on every hill. Let us remember that God's people are in exile, literal exile at this time, scattered over the face of the earth. Ezekiel is saying that one of the primary things that led to this was that that was God's judgment, which Peter says begins at the house of the Lord, was that you had shepherds abrogating, neglecting the upholding of their responsibilities. When the shepherds aren't shepherding, the sheep wander. The sheep go astray. That's when they get into trouble. Verse 7, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely, because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves, and they have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. God promises the shepherds here, and we must remember that the word of the Lord shall never fail. The Lord promises to the shepherds that he will put an end to their treachery. He will put an end to their wickedness. He will put an end to their sin. Let us not think for a moment that this is mere mythology. Let us not think for a moment that, oh, this was just some, something that happened hundreds or thousands of years ago, and this is just that Old Testament stuff, and, and you know, we don't really need to worry about any of that. Let us not think like that for a moment. If the Lord God was pleased... If the Lord God was pleased to bring judgment upon his people in that day, then what we are finding out is that that is a description of how it is that God acts, how it is God acts in his history. And yet, we act in our lives as though God would never do the same to us. We act as though God would never be pleased to bring his judgment, his discipline upon us. And you say, well... I read the Bible and it said that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes, yes, those who are in Christ Jesus are secured eternally. And there there is nothing that will separate you from the love of God. Jesus said that none will be able to snatch his sheep out of his hand. Yes, the Bible also tells us that just as every good father disciplines his child, so too will our heavenly father discipline us. So we read this promise at the end of verse 10. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. Verse 11, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture shall they feed on the mountains of Israel. 
Just as I told you in this passage, we have essentially two themes, judgment and restoration. Because just as when any good father disciplines his child, the purpose is that he would restore that child. Son, you've erred. Son, you've done wrong. Son, you've done that which is wrong. You've done that which is not pleasing in my sight. And the discipline comes. But that discipline is intended for the purpose of restoring that child, that he might walk in better ways. And just as God is pleased to bring judgment upon his people, so he is pleased to restore them. And he promises, he says, though you shepherds of Israel, you've not fed my sheep, you've, you've lived lavishly, you've, you've taken advantage of them, and, and you've slaughtered the fat ones, my judgment will come, but guess what? My sheep will they will be tended for. I will take care of them. The Lord continues this great and wonderful promise. He will seek and save the sheep that are lost. He will rescue them. He will feed them. And He will bring them into a bright and better land. Now pay attention carefully to this next verse. uh, Verse 15, for I'm making an important connection here. Verse 15, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. And I will bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. The Lord, Yahweh, The one true God personally promises that he himself will be the shepherd of his sheep. The other shepherds, they abandoned their roles. They were unfit. They mistreated their sheep. God will put an end to that. He will rescue the sheep. And he personally will be their shepherd forevermore. Now at this point, I want you to recall those great words of Jesus in John chapter 10. Jesus is contrasting himself with the wretched Pharisees and teachers of his day, the shepherds of his day, to use that terminology, whom he refers to as thieves and robbers. Then Jesus makes this grand declaration. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Again, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. And beloved, in these words, Jesus fulfills the very prophecy of Ezekiel that was told centuries before. For Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, and he has personally become the shepherd for every single one of God's sheep. He says, I know them, and they know me. And I laid down my life for them. Every time I get up here to preach, my brother Al, he asks me, he says, Logan, are you going to be talking about Jesus again? And I say, well, of course. It's a well that never runs dry. And one of the reasons that is is just because here you have this entire left side of your Bible, which we so seldomly turn to and read. And yet, all throughout, we have all these pictures, we have all these types, all these shadows of Jesus. You see, Jesus, He is the fulfillment of all of these things. This morning, in Sunday school, we were going through Zechariah, some of just these wonderful promises that were made, and not, not to distract the point, but just my goodness, let us appreciate the loveliness of the Word of God. You know, that's, that's not a human document. Human beings can't do that. You say the Bible was written by man. Man cannot do that. Over thousands of years, different languages, people who lived in different parts of the world can't put, up, put all these things together that all f- fulfill each other and coincide and work out so perfectly. This is a supernatural document, my friends. Well, we're talking about Jesus, you know, he is the good shepherd, and we recognize this is just one of the most beautiful passages in all of Holy Scripture. 
Well, we keep reading the Gospel of John and we come to what I consider to be the most interesting section in the entire New Testament and it comes right at the very end of John. And this is after Jesus' resurrection and here he is having some dialogue with Peter and with John and it, it is an absolutely captivating scene that ends the book. And like every good piece of literature, it just leaves you wanting more. And we reverentially remember, of course, that God has inspired into Scripture exactly what He wanted. And so these are the words that Jesus spoke to Peter. Now remember, Peter at this point, he had already denied the Lord three times. And he's feeling remorse. He's feeling shame over that. Well, Jesus walks up to Peter and He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Every time he does, of course, Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And every time he says yes, Jesus gives a variation of these simple words. He says, feed my sheep. He says, feed my sheep. Jesus has already claimed the title of good shepherd. Other places in the New Testament have identified him as the chief shepherd. So Jesus is that good shepherd. He fulfills this Old Testament prophecy. We looked at some of that with Ezekiel. You find some of the same imagery going on in the book of Jeremiah. Then he looks, Jesus looks at Peter and he tells Peter, he says, feed my sheep. Peter, you feed the sheep. God has promised that He is going to take care of His. He is going to take care and provide for them. And what is this beautiful thing that we see happening? Jesus is looking at Peter and He says, You feed my sheep. You see, Jesus, the chief shepherd, has appointed men, people on this earth, to fulfill the role of shepherd. God is pleased to exercise His authority through His people, through His church. To shepherd God's flock, is a divine calling. And as I stand here tonight, I pray that I would be feeding you faithfully with the Word of God. And I, I will stand before God one day in judgment and will give an account to Him for how well I've done. I, I truly will. Well, God has appointed Peter to this very role of shepherd. So with all that being said, that will sort of conclude the introduction tonight. And if we turn back to 1 Peter chapter 5, we've got to remember the context that Peter's speaking in, where you have Christians that are, that are suffering. And he has already said that judgment will begin at the house of the Lord. What do we observe in Ezekiel chapter 34 other than that God is more than willing to bring judgment upon His people when their leaders, the shepherds, are not shepherding? when they are not fulfilling their biblical roles. In chapter 4, Peter emphasized the importance of Christian love and fellowship. But now, here at the beginning of chapter 5, he specifically has words of apostolic authority, just as, Jesus, just as Ezekiel spoke the words of the Lord, that he is going to deliver to the shepherds in Christ's church. Remembering the importance of this role in this position and, and the consequences of its being neglected, of its being forsaken, will hopefully force you to realize that the words of this passage that we are reading tonight, they are important. Th these are important not just for, you know, a prospective pastor or, or an elder in a church to read and study, but, but truthfully, every true Christian needs to know the true meaning of these words. And I pray that by God's grace, we can accomplish that tonight. So, verse 1 here in chapter 5, we read Peter writing, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. You will notice in the first place, Peter addresses the elders among you. There are two roles in the church laid out for us in the New Testament, the role of elder and the role of deacon. Elders, that role, it can go by many names, elders, overseers, bishops, presbyters, pastors, etc. These are the men who uh, have the highest level of authority within the local church. You will notice that Peter says elders, elders, it, it is plural. The, 
every time we, we encounter this in the New Testament, it's always, it's always plural. And, and we even have evidence uh, in the early church that it was the case that the Christian church was always run by a plurality of elders. It was never just one guy who was in control of everybody else, and, and he is the one that everyone needs to answer to. No, you, you have a plurality of elders. This maintains balance in the leadership. This ensures that each man is accountable. Well, notice how Peter addresses these men. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Now, Peter, of course, has apostolic authority. His readers all would have recognized that. That's why his letter is scripture. But yet, in this instance, it is noteworthy. Peter doesn't say, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, as he did in chapter 1, but says, as a fellow elder. Well, this kind of reinforces what I was just saying there with there being a, a plurality of elders holding each other accountable, maintaining a balance in the leadership. Peter right now is demonstrating how that is to be done. One elder comes to another and has instruction. He has guidance. Once again, it's a little different given the fact Peter is an apostle, but nevertheless, I do think he is modeling something for us here. He goes on to identify himself by saying, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now, a, a witness, this right here is the Greek word martis, from which we get martyr. Uh, a, a martyr is a person who testifies about something. They see or they learn something, and then they go out and they tell it to the world. So Peter calls himself a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, if you've been following along with Peter up to this point, you know he has already discussed Christ's sufferings. He uses the suffering of Christ as an example for how we are to suffer. But when he says this in this context, it clearly gives us a point of application that especially applies to the elders, but we'd of course agree applies to every Christian, and that is we ought to be witnesses to the sufferings of Christ. That is a requirement for the elder, and it is a requirement for all Christian living. I've made, it, I've made the comment, there is a reason why the universally recognizable symbol for Christianity is, is, is a cross. It's an ancient torture device. Well, that is because the very bedrock, the very foundation of our faith and of our spiritual life is the fact that almost 2,000 years ago, the eternal Son of God became incarnate for the very purpose of suffering in the flesh, being delivered up to death for the purpose of the redemption of sinners. And He rose again on the third day, thus giving us an absolute assurance that He accomplished His work, and the promise rings true to this day that whosoever should call upon His name shall be saved. And we can say that because Christ accomplished what it is that He intended to do on the cross. But how was God's plans and purposes accomplished? It was through suffering. Okay, it was through suffering. That is how our example lived, His life. He did not live a life of luxury. He did not live a life of ease. He did not live the kind of life that you and I want to live, okay? He suffered. He suffered greatly. This is the supreme message of every pastor in every church. We are told in 2 Timothy chapter 4 to preach the Word. Okay, every pastor's primary responsibility is to preach God's Word and to preach the message to witness to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. To preach anything other than this is an abrogation, is a neglection of the responsibility of the shepherd. And if we've been paying attention, if we've learned anything from Ezekiel, we know grave consequences follow the people of God when the shepherds aren't shepherding. To every... Uh, other shepherd who happens to be listening to me right now, I say as, as a fellow shepherd, preach the word, for judgment will begin at the house of the Lord. And in Ezekiel chapter 9, do you know who the first people were that were slain at the hands of the Babylonians? It was the elders. They were the first ones killed. 
as the elders. Preach the word. And for the sheep listening, run as fast as you can to the preacher who preaches the word. That, that is the man you want to listen to. Do not find yourself the teacher who tickles your ears. You will be, only be reaping condemnation upon yourself. But dear sheep, I say this as a shepherd who cares about you, earnestly and diligently seek to be under the authority of elders who love you and for the ones who teach, that they would teach you the word, that they are witnesses to the sufferings of Jesus Christ. And how sadly do so many people put all the emphasis in all the wrong places. We, we look for power in our intellects. We look for power in our cleverness. We think that God blesses us because we're clever. And yet, what do we find over and over again? So the Bible says that the word of the cross is foolishness to them that are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. My friends, if you want to bring people the power of God, whatever it is that may be, just by Paul's own definition, what the power of God is to those who are being saved is foolishness to them that are perishing. And you say, well, we need to appeal to the world. We need to, we need to you know, make crossroads with them. And you know, we, we just need to identify with this generation. We need to identify with this culture. We need to do everything that we can to appease to them. We don't want them to think that we're foolish. But what does the Bible say? It says the word of the cross is foolishness to them. So by trying to appeal to people's sensibilities, trying to appeal to people's lusts, people's desires, you are forsaking that which is the power of God to us who are being saved. And I am not going to stand before God on Judgment Day having neglected that. And why should you want to? And, and, and for the sheep, why should you crave anything other than that which is the power of God? Why do you crave that which is foolishness? Why? Do you crave worldly things? Why do you store for yourselves treasures here on earth? Why do you not long for the glorious majesty of God, the revelation of His Word? Next thing Peter says is that he is a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now, just like the last one, this obviously is something that applies to all Christians as well. As Peter's already acknowledged, there may be great suffering in this life, but my beloved brethren, there is going to be an eternal bliss for all those who take refuge in the Lord. Why? Because the Christian man is not to be one who finds his desires in this life. Okay? Jesus suffered. Jesus suffered, and it was through his suffering that he attained to the glory which he was seeking. It's a lesson for us all. Verse 2, we read, Peter continuing to address elders, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Read that phrase there, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Similarly to what I was saying a moment ago, the first and primary responsibility of every shepherd is to feed the sheep. Peter knew this. Why? Well, that's, that's what Jesus told him. Jesus didn't say entertain the sheep. Jesus didn't say make the sheep happy. Jesus didn't say make the sheep feel good. He said to feed my sheep. I love my sheep. I care about my sheep, Peter. Feed them. Give them that which they need. Elders accomplish this when they are ministering the Word of God to their congregations, whether it be teaching in a Sunday school class, preaching a sermon, one-on-one, -on -one, counseling, whatever it is. This is how the shepherd feeds the sheep, and as they do so faithfully, they are fulfilling the commands of Scripture, and it's a beautiful thing. For man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, Peter, he lists various exhortations. He says that the, the elders should be exercising oversight. You see, elders have a level of authority over their respective congregations. To exercise oversight is to watch over the sheep, to direct the sheep, to take care 
of the sheep. I, I, I almost think that we need to emphasize that this is to be, not to speak crassly, but an affectionate relationship. Shepherds should care about their sheep. They are their responsibilities, and each elder will be held accountable to God for how they fulfilled this role. The next thing Peter says is not under compulsion. Paul says that he who aspires to the office of overseer aspires a good thing. You see, elders should not obtain that role under a mere compulsion. It should not be reluctantly. It should not be, well, you know, he feels like he has to or, you know, no one else is stepping in, so I guess I might as well. It's not how it should be. Peter says in the next place they should shepherd willingly. Shepherds shepherd because it is their heart's desire to do so. If a man's heart is not in the work of pastoring, he will, and catch the theme here, he will neglect, he will forsake, he will abandon his role as a shepherd. And bad things happen when pastors don't pastor. And pastors don't pastor when pastors don't want to pastor. Seems, seems pretty obvious. The elders in the church are to be men who want to be there. They see that as a hard and tough role. It, it, it is a difficult, it's a, it's a stressful position. And, and you know, a lot of the times for those who are sitting in the pews... They look at what the pastor does and, and it, we can have all these thoughts of criticism. Or why is he doing it this way? Why isn't he doing it that way? Let us just thank our pastor. Let us just thank those men who have, who have the desire to willingly uh, step into such a hard position. And as James says, those who are teachers await a stricter judgment. You see, there are many reasons why someone would not want to be elders. And if they don't want to be, then they ought not to be. They will only do damage to the congregation. The men who are called to be elders are men whom God has so wrought and worked within their hearts a holy and righteous desire to shepherd his flock. They read the words of John chapter 21 when Jesus says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, and they say, yes, Lord, I will. Send me. They love the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the chief shepherd, and they want to spend their days here on earth laboring for him in the righteous work of shepherding the flock of God. Now, does it not follow that men who want to do this would be those who love the sheep? It is their desire to shepherd them because they love God and they love his sheep. Peter then says, and this is where we get messed up, Peter says, as God would have you. The phrase in the original language is literally according to God. You know, sometimes you hear these, and, and I, it's, it's funny I'm about to say this, these young, these, these you know, modern, you know, up-and-coming preachers or whatever, and they love to talk about their vision, their hope. And their aspirations for what the church ought to look like. And all these different things and their eyes are just shining like that. And, and you know, that's just really not to be the case. Uh, the scriptures do not say to each elder, shepherd the flock of God as, as you think best. Or, you know, what you would like to be done. Or, or you know, what, what's your vision? Or what's this or that? No, 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 no. It says, shepherd the flock of God according to God. As God would have you. And... Listen, you, you asked the question, well, how do I know what God wants the shepherd to do? How do I know how God wants the church to operate? Well, he has given you his word. He has given you his word. But what do we do? We say, okay, I, I, I see these, these things that we read in our Bible, but what about this? I mean, I kind of like this, or I grew up in, you know, where I went to church as a kid. We did this, and, and we sort of... We say with our mouths that the Bible is the Word of God. We don't function that way. How many of us truly think that the Bible is sufficient to tell us how the church ought to be run? That, I mean, that, that goes for me. That goes for everyone in leadership. That goes for everyone sitting in the pews. How many of us actually think 
that if we were to open our Bibles, if we were to open up the Scriptures and read them, that we would be instructed in how the church ought to operate. And so, again, this is why Peter addresses a plurality of elders. It further ensures that this commandment is, you know, right here, according to God, would be fulfilled. And, and as we talk about these things, I am convinced, and I say this literally, I do not say it figuratively, this is not a hyperbolic expression, I am convinced that 100% of the problems in the Christian church, not 90%, not 80%, 100% of the problems in the Christian church throughout history arise when people neglect the Word of God, when people function not as God would have them. You see, God has given us His Holy Word, which shepherds are to feed the sheep. And what this is intended by God to result in is a symbiotic relationship where uh, both the shepherd and their respective sheep have a healthy diet of Scripture and that all, Christi- all the Christians do as they live their lives would be according to what God has prescribed in His Word. You see, whenever you or I act or think contrary to Scripture is when problems arise. And, and that goes not just for the church, that goes for our, all of our own lives. We read the Bible and it, and it says these different things and we say, but that's, that's not really how I want to do it. That's just not, that just don't really, don't really jive with me. Well, it doesn't jive with your flesh. Your flesh hates it. We're not to live according to the flesh, are we? We're to live according to the Spirit. And, and, and brothers, this is not, it's not just a fairy tale. I remind you again of what we read in Ezekiel when shepherds neglect their responsibilities. Judgment comes. Peter, the next thing Peter says concerning the shepherd is that they should not shepherd for shameful gain. Remember what the shepherds in Ezekiel's day were doing. They, they were eating the fat and, and clothing themselves in the wool off of the sheep's back. They were fat, they were happy, they were wealthy, they were satisfied while the sheep suffered. Sheep suffer when their shepherds are only motivated by greed. Elders are not to be in this for shameful gain. Now that is obviously not a prohibition against Elders being financially compensated for their labor. We have instruction elsewhere in the New Testament, yes, because that is where we are to look for these answers, our Bibles. We have instruction in the New Testament that says you should not muzzle the ox, but that the laborer deserves his wages. As Paul says, those who preach the gospel ought to make their living by the gospel. There's clearly, and there's obviously, a difference between this and shameful gain, that is, gaining money or, or, or gaining worldly things or pleasures, whatever it is, by dishonest or corrupt means. You've all heard stories, and I myself have personally been in church situations where the leadership partakes in shameful gain, and it's tragedy, and it's a little literal tragedy. And just like Ezekiel was prophesying, what happens to those congregations? Well, the sheep are scattered. You have people that, that are so hurt, that they, they are so burnt by what it is that, they, that they, they've, they've left the church. People's lives have been destroyed when shepherds don't shepherd as they ought to shepherd. It's a real thing. And it's a sinful It is a wickedly depraved mind that causes someone to look at a pure virgin and want to rape and defile her. Yet it is that exact same mind that looks at Christ's holy church and wants wants to rape and defile her for shameful gain. Sinful men look at the church of Jesus Christ and see nothing more than an opportunity for shameful gain. Shameful gain, whether it's playing around with money or whether it's taking advantage of the role that you have as a leader, taking advantage of of the women in your congregation or preaching 
a false gospel, preaching the prosperity gospel or whatever it is, that there's, there's literally no end to what a sinful man, a wolf in sheep's clothing can do if his heart is set on defiling Christ's bride. And it's a tragedy. Whatever it is, these, these, these truly wicked men, they look at the church of Jesus Christ, his bride, whom he loves and he bought with his own blood, and they want to rape her. They want to defile her. The false teachers, the prosperity preachers, whose books are number one on the booksellers list with their mansions, with their private jets, they may have their way with the bride here on earth. They may have their way with the church, but surely God will have his way with them, and he will be glorified in their damnation. He will be glorified in their destruction. He will be glorified in his righteous judgment, which he will reap upon these deceitful and wicked men, these wolves in sheep's clothing. Loved ones, those people who call themselves pastors, who sneak like wolves into Christ's church to defile his bride for shameful gain, they will be dealt with harshly, harshly. Unless they repent, they will perish. Their lot will be damnation. God will be glorified in their destruction, and oh, how glorified he will be. To be a strong warning to myself. To be a strong warning to myself. Because the sinful nature and the flesh, which every child of Adam has, which leads a man to doing such wicked things, I've got that in, in myself as well. So do all others in order to be shepherds of God's flock. Let us all pray that we would be led not according to our own desires. We'd be led by the Spirit. That I would live my life, that you would live your life as God would have you, not as you would have you. Peter says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Just as was mentioned a moment ago, those who are elders should be elders only and precisely because it is their heart's desire. It should be men who love God, men who love His truth, men who love His people. Verse 3 we read, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Elders should not domineer, that is, they should not lord over those who are in their charge or in their care. As we have observed, elders do have authority in the church. They do. They absolutely do. And this is a role and an authority that was established by Jesus Christ himself. But remember that ever so important exhortation given by Peter in verse 2, which we always forget, that elders are to operate according to God, as God would have them. And, and as I've mentioned, all of the potential problems and travesties that we have been talking about happen when God's Word is neglected. So just as elders are given authority in the church, they are only to exercise that authority so far as God has prescribed in His Holy Word. And this is not to do so domineeringly. Elders are not dictators. They are not emperors. It is... So tempting, and I've seen it happen, and it, and it grieves me, and it breaks my heart, and yet it makes me tremble. I, I have seen men who have stood in pulpits on Sunday mornings who have put on quite a good show. I mean, they had, they had us fooled. They really, really did. What were they doing? They were using that position of authority to take advantage of people, to take advantage of people, to control people. Why? Because they liked it. Just like how when you and I sin, why? It's because you like it. If you didn't like it, you wouldn't do it. And that, that is what happens, and it's, and it's a heartbreaking thing. And so, no, the elder is not to be one who takes his authority and uses it to abuse people. He, he is not to be one who is going to abuse his power and want to control everything to suit his weird and, and, and personal interests. You see, when there is conflict in the church, it is not the role of the elder to merely 
throw his weight around and say, well, this must be done because this is what I said ought to be done. That's not an elder operates. When there is conflict, the elders do have authority, but the conflict must be resolved in a peaceable and respectful way, I say, in a Christian way, where the people under their authority, though what they were doing or were wanting to doing, wanting to be doing is being opposed, nevertheless, as the elder exercises their authority, he is doing so in a way that is not domineering, but that is, is ministering to those people. The elder uses reason, uses the scriptures to establish why it is that whatever such thing cannot be done. I mean, God has given these men authority and, 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 and it is proper for them, these men to use their authority, but they must use this authority in accordance with the scriptures. And that is not to be domineering, not to lord over people, to merely invoke one's authority without any clear reasoning why? Well, that's controlling. That is domineering. That is unfit for one of God's shepherds to behave in such a manner. This follows closely with what Peter says next. He says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. You see, elders should treat their congregants as they would want their congregants to treat them. Shouldn't be an unfamiliar concept for Christians. And everything that the elder does, he is to model how those under his charge should behave. Now, is an elder going to do this perfectly? Well, no, he's not. He, he is a weak and miserable sinner, just like the congregation, whose only strength and ability comes uh, from the grace of God. But nevertheless, this, this does imply that the elder is to be one who is mature in his faith, that he can actually live a life that the congregation can look up to and aspire to live. Now, all of this is, has sort of been a lot, and I, and I do hope and pray that this stuff has been helpful, has been practical to all of you. Obviously, only a small minority of people within the Christian church make up the category of elders that Peter is addressing. But this, this is the Word of God, and, and, and I do believe that this stuff is beneficial to us all. Now, there are explicit qualifications and commands for elders elsewhere in the New Testament, but just primarily dealing with what Peter has said, and, and as, as I've been strongly emphasizing, given the context of this passage, remember Peter's use of the word so, use of the word therefore in verse 1, and with the passage that we read in Ezekiel, that when elders, when shepherds are not faithfully fulfilling their roles, God's judgment comes. Judgment begins at the house of the Lord, my friends. Now, we are living in dark times right now, very similar to what the people in Peter's day were going through. And so we need to, we need to get this stuff right. But what's it all for? I mean, who cares if, you know, shepherd, shepherd? Who cares if the church behaves as though the church should act? I mean, what's it all going to amount to in the end? Listen to the glorious words of verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You see, at the end of one's race, to hear the words of the saying, well done, thy good and faithful servant, that is what awaits the faithful shepherd. The New Testament elsewhere teaches the reality of eternal rewards for believers, not just pastors, but all believers. And that is what is in view here. The faithful shepherd at the appearance or the coming of the chief shepherd is to receive an unfading crown of glory. They will receive a glorious reward for their labor and for their service, and it is far surpassing anything that you can gain here on earth by shameful and dishonest means. We know what will become of those false men, of those reprobates who spend their lives using and abusing Christ's church their lot is the full cup of God's righteous and holy wrath, wherein he will be glorified and his power shall be made known even in the destruction of the wicked. The faithful shepherd receives not this, but the warm embrace of Christ his Savior whom he loves and a crown of glory that will not be taken away from him, but that is unfading. 
And, and this is a word that goes out to everyone in this room and to everyone listening online. This is not something that is just for the elder. This is for all people. Do not work and labor and toil for the fleeting pleasures of sin. You... Wicked souls who live only for yourselves, do you not feel shame and guilt for how you live your life? Well, my friend, I beg and I plead with you to repent of your wicked ways. Please, you precious and poor soul, flee from the wrath that is to come. Do not labor for the finite, worthless pleasures of this life, but work for the kingdom of heaven. Your inheritance will then be imperishable. Believe in Jesus Christ and all these things will be added to you. In verse 5 we read, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Peter here completes this section addressed to elders. And here he says, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. We've gone through Peter's first epistle. We have had numerous instances wherein one party is told to submit to another party. Citizens to the government, wives to the husband, servants to their masters. Well, here it's younger people. People who are younger in the faith are to be subject to the elders. The elders have been given authority by God, and obviously, as we have exposited for you tonight, that authority comes with certain qualifiers and responsibilities, but nevertheless, as God would have you, the responsibility of the sheep is to be subject to the shepherd. It means listening to them. It means respecting them. It means submitting to them. If your elders are faithful, that means that they love you. Okay, that means that they love you and that they truly have your best interests in mind. Why? Because they love God and they want to glorify God in how they minister to you. You may not realize or like you know, the particular way in which an elder operates, but nevertheless, our responsibility is to have an attitude and heart of submissiveness. And Peter ends verse 5 with this hearty word of exhortation that applies to all Christians. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That last line comes from the book of Proverbs, and it's wisdom we all need. You see, the reason that we will refuse to respect and submit to our elders or why the elder himself will refuse to submit to the Word of God, the reason that this happens is pride. It's pride. That's why we're warned against pride. He's saying, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Don't think for a moment you're more righteous or you're more worthy than your brother or your sister. The same God who made you made them too. If you're a Christian and they're a Christian, the same God who died on the cross for them died on the cross for you too. Okay? Let not any of us for a moment think that we can boast over our brethren. And so I, I realize a lot of ground was cover tonight, and I, but I really do and earnestly pray that this, this would be a blessing to you all. Uh, may we take great and careful consideration for the offices in the church that God has ordained. Let us strive to have these things exercised faithfully in our churches. Let us do so with humility, not letting foolish pride get in the way. And of course, let us all reverently, with awe and with love, look up to and follow the chief shepherd, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who will reward the faithful and the righteous in the life to come. And I'll just give you one word. What we find in God's Word tonight as we study it is over and over again, He is correcting us from doing what it is that our flesh would want to do. Okay, He is correcting carnal desires. He is correcting worldly desires. The desires of our flesh are opposed to the things of the Spirit of God. And what Peter tells us, what he promises, is that to the shepherd, 
who labors for that which is godly, who, who is faithful, the rewards in eternity will be unimaginably glorious. And so just would that all of us in this room right now, as we contemplate life and death, let us truly have a desire to do with our lives what we can while we can for the purpose of the kingdom of God. Let us work for that which will not perish. Join me a word of prayer. Father God, Father, we just thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. Father God, all of us are just weak. All of us are just so dependent upon grace, upon mercy, upon forgiveness, dear God. Father, we, we just thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Father, it's, it's my sincere prayer that your word was honored tonight, that your word and your truth was honored, that your name was hallowed, that your name was glorified. Father God, in any way that I've erred, I just pray that you would correct that. I pray that you would shepherd me, dear God, that you would um, restore me, that you would, you would correct me where I need correcting. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.